Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. This is the time of year that we question whether or not it's worth it. So we've been talking about, like, would you do this for a million dollars? Would you do this for a million dollars? Is it worth doing? Like, yeah, probably worth eating a moldy sandwich. Earwax, eh, you know? So, so we base what we do on whether or not something is worth it. Can I just tell you, this is church, of course, and I hope everyone in here is a Christian. I don't know. But Christianity, living a Christian life that honors God, is not easy. I'll just tell you this right now. It's not easy. If you watch some TV preacher that was like, oh, it's easy being a Christian, he just wants your money, right? <laughs> because it's not easy. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the, the words of Jesus are not easy words to follow. Um, I, I wrote down some things that happen. Some I'm, I'm a facts guy. I'm a statistics guy. Did you know, each month, 322 Christians around the world are killed for their faith. They die not because of of, of extra events, but they die because someone held a gun to their head and said, "Are you a Christian?" Or their village was burned because their village was a Christian village in the midst of a Hindu village. That happens. Um, and and that, that statistic, because I've looked at that statistic, I've been following that statistic for a couple of years now. The last time I looked that statistic up was in 2014, and it was the same statistic. So it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. There are people around the world who suffer violence, who suffer persecution, just because of the fact that they're Christians. So it's not easy being a Christian around the world. But can I tell you, it's not easy being a Christian in America either. It's not easy being a Christian in America either. You know, there are things that you don't do because you're a Christian, and people look at you funny because you don't do those things because you're a Christian. You know, there, are, there, are, there, are, there are activities you don't participate in. There are things you miss out on sometimes. Miss out on, quote-unquote, miss out on because you're a Christian. And you know you're supposed to reach out to people, and you've been trying, and you've been trying, and you've been trying to, like, to, to, to reach out to people that don't know Christ, but you're like almost to the point where you're just like, it doesn't seem to be making any difference. I've been trying to live for Christ, and my life's actually got, yeah, I, f- I feel like more people hate me now than, than, than before, so, so is it worth it? Is it worth it? Like, why is it worth it? Uh, that is the question. That's the question that's going to, like, haunt you the rest of your life. Is Jesus worth it? Is living for God worth it? Because if it, if it is worth it, yeah, it's worth everything. If it's not worth it, then why even try? And, and, and I, was, you know, I, I sometimes with you play different roles, like, as I'm, like, yeah, up here dancing on my head. Like sometimes I'm like the guy, like yeah, kicking you in the rear end, like you know, get moving. You know, what are you doing? Sometimes I'm like the, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. You know, yeah. Sometimes I'm trying to teach you like doctrine and like what to believe as a Christian. I guess tonight, like I'm, I think of myself maybe more as like a coach, the coach who's like saying you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. As you're getting on the field, giving you a firm smack on the tush. Spiritually speaking, um, and, and I, I just want you to know that what you're doing is important, that what you're living out, if you're trying to follow Christ, it's important and it's not worthless, and it's not meaningless, and it's not going unnoticed. I've seen God working in so many of you this year, and sometimes I get the feeling about this time of the year, and I, I kind of see it in, in some of your eyes, and I, I hear it in some of your, your conversations I've been having with you, is that you're just worn out. And you feel like what you're doing may not be making a difference. And what you're doing, it, it, just, it just may not be worth it. And tonight, I just want to tell you one thing, yeah, and it's on the screen. Jesus is worth it. But I'm not going to tell you. I want to show you in the Bible. Uh, so Revelation chapter 4, 
Um, if there's ever, if there's ever, a, this is one of, I, I, this is, this is a chapter that we, we almost maybe every two years teach just because if you don't see this chapter and you don't see God for who he is, sometimes it's easy to, it's easy to forget that he's worth it. It's easy to forget that he's worthy. So there's this incredible, incredible set of chapters here, Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. Before we get into that, let me just explain where this is in Revelation. Um, Revelation 119 is like kind of the critical verse in Revelation because what Revelation 119 does is it provides an outline for the rest of the book. God tells John, I'm quoting this from memory, I should probably turn there. He says, he tells John, he says, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So three categories, three chapters, I guess you could say, three sections of Revelation. The first is he tells, he tells John, he says, write down what you have seen. So write down the, the things that you've seen. Because remember, he, Jesus appears to John, um, and, and, and John kind of freaks out, and, 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 he, and he, <laughs> Jesus doesn't just come. Jesus, like, shows up. You know, so he says, write all that down, then write. So write down what, what you've seen, write down, then the second section is write down what is now. Chapters 2 and chapter 3 are letters to churches in Revelation. And those churches, they, they were real churches, but they were also representative of, um, of this church age that we're in and this time period that we're in where God is working through the church. So that is, he says, write down what is now. And then the final, um, the final section of, of Revelation is write down what will take place later. So chapters 2 and chapter 3, John writes letters to churches. And then in chapter 4, he says, after this, so after he wrote down what is now, he says, I looked up, and before me was a door standing open to heaven. Wouldn't that be crazy if, like, this, the door, this door opened, but it wasn't the stairwell, it was, like, heaven? <laughs> Would you walk through that door? You know, uh, door standing open to heaven, and I heard, the voice I heard, first heard speaking to me, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. See, so like shifting gears in Revelation from the present to the future, right here, this verse. So everything we're about to read, this is going to happen at some point in the future. And everybody's going to be there, by the way. Um, so you've got to decide where you're going to be in this picture. Um, at once, verse 2, I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of... Je Let me stop. What I want you to do is, as we're reading this, note all of the likes and appeared to be. Because John is seeing these things that no human has ever seen before. So we don't have words for that. Like, can you imagine, like, if someone from, like, um, the 1800s saw a jet airplane? Like, what would they say? How would they describe that? Like, they would struggle to find words. Imagine John seeing heaven and trying to come up with words, like vocabulary words to describe it. So he'll describe things as, this looked like this, and this looked like this. So take that and multiply it by ten and give it some steroids and some miracle grow, and that's what he saw. So, so as we're doing this, he said, I saw a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. I wonder who that person is, right? Who sits on the throne of heaven? God the Father. And the one who sat there had the appearance of, so that's John doing that thing, had the appearance of Jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. We know a little bit about that today. Um, 
in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. They're the seven spirits of God. In front of the throne was what looked like a sea, what looked like, there's another like, what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. A lot of scholars say that points to the inaccessibility of God at that point. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Wouldn't it be cool if you could time travel? Do you think that's possible? I don't know if it's scientifically possible. I don't know a whole lot about flux capacitors and space-time continuums other than from back to the future. Um, and I don't, I don't know that it's possible for humans to do it, but I know what is impossible for humans is possible with God. And God took John in the year, they say it was probably about the year 60 A.D. So we're in the year like 2017. This was the year 60. He took John way past where we are, all the way to the future, to heaven. And John got to see all this. And when he, he saw it, you know, imagine all these things. Imagine this throne. That You can go to the next slide, Jeff. I'm sorry, these, this is a little bit of a weird lesson. Imagine a throne that made like this building right here or the, the, the big church over there, make it look like something a toddler made with Lincoln logs. You know, like, like because this throne was massive, and there was somebody sitting on this throne. And if you look, it, it says that the person who was on the throne had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow shone like an emerald circle around the throne. So think about, all the, think about like the brightest rainbow you've ever seen and imagine it on steroids around the throne. And don't you find it interesting that he just describes like the one sitting on the throne and he describes a great light but he doesn't describe God? Why do you think he can't describe God? Because he can't at this point he can't look upon God. He can't see you ever try to look at the sun? Can you tell much about what the sun looks like by looking at the sun? <laughs> you can look at it for like a split second and all you can see is this blinding brightness so we we, it's really hard to tell what the sun looks like. They've got these super photographer lenses and stuff to tell what the sun looks like. It's hard to tell what the sun looks like. Jesus, or John is looking at this person sitting on the throne, and he's blinded by the light. So all he can describe is what's around him. And it's this incredible throne, right? It's this, just he, he can't even come up with the right words. And around that throne are 24 small thrones. I mean, I'd be cool just sitting on one of those 24 small thrones, you know. But sit, there are 24 small thrones with 24 elders that sit on that throne. And then within the throne area, there are four creatures. These would be like Halloween characters on steroids, I guess is the, the word of the night. Halloween characters on steroids. Look at the way it describes them. The first was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third, the third like a man. The fourth like a flying eagle. And it says they, it had six wings, and these creatures were covered with eyes. Imagine just like... Something covered with eyes. It says even under the wings. Even the armpits had eyes. <laughs> it's just these, these creatures would scare you to death if you saw them. Like, you, if you would see them, you would, it'd, be, it'd be code brown. Like, you would be so 
scared. You would be so paranoid, and you just you'd, you'd totally shut down. But here's what I want us to think about. Here's what I want us to think about. These creatures who we would be scared to death of, you know what they do? They fall down, and they worship God, and they say, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The scariest thing maybe that we could ever conceive worships God. That's how great and that's how powerful God is. So they say, it says, day and night they never stop saying. I wish that was a description of me that they could say about Matt. Day and night he never stops saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So this scene is just going on in heaven 24-7, 24-7. That's how great and that's how worthy God is. That the most fearsome creatures ever considered are worshiping him. And then it says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, thanks to him who sits on the throne forever, the 24 elders, remember there's those 24 thrones, these guys jump off their thrones fall at his feet, put their crowns on his feet, and they worship him, saying, you are, in verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. So why is it that we, why is it that um, God is worth it? Why is it that God is worth it? Well, first, it's because of who he is. Look at who God is, and look at the worship that he commands. God is worthy because of who he is. It it explains it in verse 11 here. There are two reasons why, because who God is, he's worthy of us serving and worshiping. The first is he's our creator. It says in here, in in verse 11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, because you created all things. You realize there's not a thing you can touch, there's not a thing you can look at that was not created by God. Like there's, you know. I'm touching this that came from a tree that was created by God. Like, I'm looking through eyes that were created by God. I'm looking at people who were created by God. I saw lightning, and I saw thunder, and I saw rain that was created by God. There is nothing that was not created by God. What, what is it that we know about things that were created? They were created to do the work of, that the Creator intended it to do, right? So God is worthy for us to serve Him and for us to follow Him simply because He's the, the fact that He's our Creator. Sometimes we have a hard time serving God because we don't like the way He created us. We're going to start talking about that next week with the label series. Where he say, God, God, made me too, you know, God made me too fat, or God made me too skinny, or God made me too ugly, God made me too pretty, God made me too you know, this or that. God put me in the wrong family, or God put me in the wrong country. Sometimes I wonder that. You know, there's all, you know, we question God, but he's our creator. If it wasn't for God, you would not be here, plain and simple. The second thing it says, you created all things. By your will, they were created and have their being. God is the one that holds the earth together. In, in Colossians chapter 1, it says that, that God holds everything together. We worship God for who he is because he's our creator, but he's also, he sustains everything. He's our sustainer. When's the last time you thanked God that the earth rotated on an axis? Of, I think it's 33 degrees. Scientists say that if the Earth's axis, the degree to which the Earth is is tilted, you know the Earth is tilted, right? That's why sometimes some of you walk like this. That the Earth is the Earth is tilted, and if it, if that degree of the axis were to change just by one degree, part of the Earth would be scorched because it'd be too close to the sun, and part of the Earth would freeze to death. When's the last time you thanked God for holding that Earth at 33 
exactly 33 degrees for the past like 6,000 years. When's the, or yeah, however, yeah, however old the earth is. When's the last time you thanked God for doing that? We don't think about it. He sustains the things we don't even think about. When's the last time you thanked the God for keeping the rotational speed of the earth consistent? The earth rotates at 1,200 miles an hour. If it were to stop rotating, we would be thrown into orbit. When's the last time you thanked God that you were not thrown into orbit? On a more practical level, every breath you take is given to you by God. When's the last time you woke up this morning and said, God, thank you that I'm alive and that I am healthy and that I'm in a family that loves me and I have a place that I can go where people accept me? When's the last time you thanked God for keeping you? We, he's worthy. He's worthy of our worship simply the fact that he created us and he didn't just wind us up like a toy. You know, there's a little wind-up toys you get at McDonald's and I wind it up, set it on this ledge and it goes like this and then falls off. He didn't just wind us up and let us crash and burn as humanity he came and saved us he he keeps things together he's who he is so all these elders and all these um these creatures fall down and worship god because of two reasons not what he did for them but who he is he's a creator and he's a sustainer there's nobody more powerful than god there's nobody more powerful than god so it's worth it to live for jesus simply because of who he is but there's another, there's another reason that, that, we, that we serve God. And turn over to chapter 5, and you're going to see that, that reason. This is really in, incredible, incredible, incredible right here, what happens. So he, he describes this scene, and then he sh- kind of shifts gears a little bit. He says, then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne. First off, imagine just God is so big that all John notices is his right hand. God is so big that he describes God by, like, the parts of his body that he sees because God is so big. And he says, I saw at his right hand a scroll in his right hand with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. An angel comes over and he says, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open it. Or even look inside it. Verse 4, I wept because there was no one found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Why was John such a crybaby? I mean, come on, get it together, you know? Like, like suck it up, buttercup, you know? Like, why is John <laughs> why is John so emotional because they can't find someone to open the scroll? Well, if God had writing a scroll with writing and new truth and new information that no one had ever seen, wouldn't you want to know, first off? Secondly, there's no one worthy to open this. You know, we kind of do what John does and what this angel does is in our lives, we say, hey, who's worthy to tell me how to live my life? Who is worth living for? And, and, and sometimes we try to live for a girlfriend and our lives revolve around her. We live like a we live for, a, I don't live for a boyfriend, but some of you may live for a boyfriend and your life revolves around him or you, 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 your life revolves around sports or your life you know, revolves around this one particular thing and, and you think that's worthy, but then it's over, the relationship's over, the sports season is over and you're never going to play you know, baseball or basketball again and then you're like, well, that didn't work out. What's worthy of my time? What's worthy of me pouring my life into? And sometimes we do cry when the thing that we thought would set us free and the thing that we thought was so important let us down. So we can understand why John cries. There's no one worthy to open this. But then, verse 5, Then one of the elders came to me and said, Don't weep. 
See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes of God sent out to all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of God, the, the, of him who sat on the throne. Imagine John's surprise when this angel comes and he says, there is one who's worthy, and he builds him up. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. You're imagining some, you know, Sylvester Stallone looking, hey, yo, I'm going to take that scroll. You know, he, you're, you're expecting some, some very victorious person. But who, 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 comes up, who comes up? John says, it looks like a lamb that's been slain. He's, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus takes the scroll. <laughs> this is so cool what happens when he takes the scroll. Uh, verse 8, it says, When he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were burning incense, which is the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. That song that they sang night and day changed. And it said, You're worthy to take the scroll, open the seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons of every tribe, people, and nation, and made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our Lord, the Lord our God. And they will reign on the earth forever. So why do we... Why is following Jesus worth it? It's because of what he did for us. You see this outlined in this, in this worship song that these elders and these creatures sing. It says, you're worthy, O Lord, to open the seals. One, because you're slain. Because he died. Jesus died. No one else could die for us, but Jesus died for us. And the second reason is because, um, you see, and with your blood you purchased for God people from every nation and tribe and tongue. Jesus was the only one who could do this, and he did it. He hung on the cross. He purchased us to buy us back. We were, we were in the slave market of sin. We were slaves to sin. Jesus bought us out of that with his blood. We were hopeless without him. Then the final reason we see um, in, in verse 10, it says, you made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. God didn't just, Jesus didn't just die for us. He didn't just buy us back from slavery. He turned us and he went from slaves into saints. It says that we've become a kingdom of priests. We went from slaves to priests. What God did for us, what Jesus did for us is incredible. We, 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 you've heard, a lot of you have gone to church so long, you've heard about that cross for so long that it's no big deal anymore. The day the cross becomes no big deal for you anymore is the day your faith starts slipping away. That cross is everything. That's why we do what we do. We serve God out of the wonder and the mystery of the cross. So don't forget that. We, we serve Jesus because of what he did. You ever wonder if when you get to heaven you're going to regret certain things? And, yeah, at the end of your life you're going to regret this or regret that or wish you would have done more of this. What's cool is you actually, you're in, did you know you're in Scripture? And I'm not joking. It's not an illusion. You are in Scripture. I want you to keep reading, okay? In, in verse 11, it says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne of the living creatures in a loud voice. They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. It says 10,000 times 10,000 angels sing this song. That's like 100 million angels. Can you imagine what that sounds like? 100 million angels singing one song together? It would be pretty incredible. But look at verse 13. This is what I want you to see. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them. That's every person to ever live, ever. Saved, 
unsaved. Every person, this is what they, so that's you, by the way, because you're alive, right? Are you alive tonight? So that's you. This is you. This is what you are going to say. Look at these words and read these words because these words are going to come out of your mouth when you get to heaven. These, this is what you're going to say. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever. Everyone, everywhere will declare that Jesus is worthy. You know that's your future. The question is, do you want to have a life that you take with you to heaven to back up what you're going to say? Do you want to say that out of fear and trembling because you realize your life was wasted and you didn't make Jesus the Lord of your life? Or do you want to say that because the faith that you had in this life became sight in heaven? That's the question you need to think about. So I I just hope you know that God is worth it. He is so worth it. There are times we get so discouraged, but he is worth it. He's done so much for us. He's so great. There's no one more worthy. There's no one worthy to serve other than God. So you say, how do I apply this? I, I just want you to write these three D words down or look them up in the notes. I'm trying for F words, maybe next week. Three D words I want you to think about. The first is delight yourself in the Lord. You realize you have the greatest job ever. You get to serve God. There's sometimes I look at the cross and I'm like, what could I even do? Like, I wish I could just physically embrace Jesus and give him and, and hug him and personally thank him. But I can't do that right now, can I? I will one day, so what do I do? I serve him. I delight myself in his presence. I give him the one. You know what Jesus wants more than anything else? He wants you. He wants your heart. So I give him my heart. That's the greatest job ever, isn't it? That You get to worship God. Um, that's the first job and the last job and the in-between job. You get to worship God. The next is go deeper in your faith. What I love about these passages, they're not always incredibly practical. They don't say do this. You know, <laughs> There's nothing here in Revelation that says do this and you'll have success. But these are faith-building chapters. These are chapters where you see God and you're like, oh my goodness, he's so much bigger than I ever imagined. Remember that. Go back to this chapter because the bigger you understand God to be, the bigger you believe God to be, he's infinitely bigger than you could ever believe, big God equals big faith. Big God equals big faith. The more you realize how great God is, the more you're going to serve him. So go deeper in your faith. And the final thing is you decide. What are you going to do with Jesus? This is the question you will have to wrestle with for the rest of your life. What will you do with Jesus? You've never made a commitment to Christ. You've never put your faith in him, and, 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 and you just don't think it's worth it. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to have fun for a couple years, go to college, kind of do what I want to do, and then maybe I'll get right, get right with God. Do it now. He's worth it. He's worth every moment of your life. What will you do with Jesus? Are you going to serve him, or are you going to turn your back on him? So that's kind of where I want to leave it tonight, actually. What will you do with Jesus? You see who he is. You see what he's done. I promise you he's worth it. There's the, I'll be honest. There are times I just grow tired. I grow tired of, like, ministering, and I grow tired of, like, um, giving up my time to serve others. And I want, I'm just being honest with you. And I wonder, man, is it worth it? But then I remember that I'm griping about 30 minutes of my time out of the day, and Jesus gave his life. He's worth it. He's worth it. So let me pray. I'll get you down to tag. Um, Father, I pray that um, what we said tonight, the, the words that we read, even though they're not incredibly practical, um, God, they are, this, is, this is who you are, and this is your truth, and this is what we know to be true. 
and perfect about you. So I pray that the words that were said, the words that were read most importantly, that they'll sink into our hearts and that we'll remember them. And, and, and when we're at crossroads in our life and, and we have to decide whether to serve you or whether to serve ourselves, that we'll remember that you are worth it. You are worthy. You're of so, such great worth and worth, worthship that we will worship you through our decisions, that, that, that when it comes down to serving you or serving ourselves, we will serve you. Uh, not because we think we're going to get anything in return up from it, because, but because we've already been given so much. I pray that our lives will declare that you are worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.